I'm Nathan Robertson. I'm Mitch Wiley. And this is The Cinema Files. And today we are going to be talking all about the best movies of the summer. Um, and not only the best ones, but also some that we've seen that we just want to talk about a little bit. Maybe that you've seen and you've been waiting for someone to talk about it. Uh, but first, we're going to go with the first big hit of the summer. The one that everyone's moms that went through the 80s was waiting for. and that. Now, all of us who are not born in the 80s can say that we equally enjoy, and that is Top Gun Maverick. Bring Mitch, what on did you think the mustaches. <laughs> I, I, if I could grow a mustache, uh, I would. My prepubescent face will not allow me, um, as fate would have it. But I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, it's one of those that I... Uh, it's It's... One you can recommend to pretty much anyone and everyone hits all yeah. the quadrants of people. Uh, I saw this one with my parents and my parents' best friends uh, on, uh, I think it was the Monday or Tuesday after it opened and saw it again with my wife and, and some of our other friends. And I mean, it's just kind of like everyone across the board liked it. Uh, crowd ple- One of the more crowd-pleasing movies, I think on... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is a very flawed system, by the way, but uh, does, I suppose, have some place in value. It's like the the critics are like 97 and the audience is 99. And that's just something that you rarely see. Yeah. Um, Just universally loved. I think that it's it's a little bit broad to to where it can't quite kind of break into the top kind of echelon for me. Um, But I, I thought it was a really good time. I thought that... Uh, Tom Cruise is still, he still has it, but as you and I know, Nathan, um, devotees of the Mission Impossible franchise, uh, this is not a return to form for him. This is just yeah. more of the same. He's The man has jet fuel in his blood from birth, yeah. and now Miles Teller does as well, and that that's a great anecdote of Miles Teller, who actually had to be hospitalized on set because he quite literally had jet fuel in his blood. Uh, but this movie has jet fuel in its blood without question. I thought it was, I mean, in terms of capturing, you know, aviation combat, I mean, it doesn't get better than this. And, and I, I thought it was a really good time. What'd you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I saw it with my wife and my mom and my mother-in-law and that was a lot of fun. My mother-in-law always says that the most 80s sentence she's ever said is that when she was younger, she sold all of her eight tracks to go and see the original Top Gun. There you um, go. So it felt fitting that she should join us uh, to watch the new one. But yeah, I agree. I mean, the original is one of those that obviously is popular and it has that nostalgia factor to it. And so it was kind of funny to see how many people were rewatching the original to kind of get ready for the new one and were a little bit like, oh, I thought this was supposed to be good. Like, yeah. why is this kind of lame? For me, um, it was not rewatching it, but just watching it for the first time. Yeah. I had seen bits and pieces and I kind of, you know, I knew the gist and, but yeah, watching it for the first time all the way through and thinking, man, you know, some 80s stuff holds up a lot better, you know, like stuff like the Terminator is just as good now, but yeah, Top Gun is kind of a mediocre, a little bit of a boring movie in my, in my mind, the first one. Yeah, so it definitely takes some things from the original and translates it um, in some way. So there's definitely the classic, you know, the original. I'm pretty sure over the years it's gotten some flack for the fact that this enemy is like unnamed and that it's like essentially a military propaganda and it's just trying to promote that the United States are the greatest. And and from all accounts, it worked like. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this one, it definitely, you know, it keeps the whole unknown enemy type thing. And, you know, people want to argue the same things. But I do think what this does so much better than the original and what really makes it what it is, is that while the original, it had the jet fights, it had the Tom Cruise swagger and all those things, it didn't really have any like story to it. it didn't have a place it was going it was just kind of like oh we're really good at flying and oh there's some bad guys let's take them out sweet good job tom cruise Throw versus this one is, in there. <laughs> yeah versus this one it's like there's actual stakes 
and you start to learn about these characters, you care about these characters, you know, you're not sure if they're going to succeed. And so it just kind of has a whole new element to it that really sets it apart from the original. And so I think that it just kind of, it, it makes it just like the original was such a big blockbuster when it came out and it was like, Oh, you got to go see this. It did the same thing for this. And I think, I think it just broke. Like it's like the number 10, uh, most money made domestic box office of all time. Right. Um, which is, I mean, that's just wild. I mean, mm-hmm. that a guy like Tom Cruise that after all these years is still just, I mean, putting out what seems like banger after banger of these action movies and people are just lauding them. Um, you know, it's just kind of surprising that we're here, but, and, but we are. and if there is a subtext to the movie, I think, which it's been pointed out by several critics, it's that, you know, the kind of the subtext is Tom Cruise is, not just uh, the old aviator pilot, but he's also the old classic movie star with movie mm-hmm. theaters and all these new guys and, and young guys are rising movie stars. And Tom Cruise is showing them, look, I still got it. I'm still Tom Cruise. I can still open a movie. Um, and and what actually is a, a side note, which is mind boggling to me. And I think they just released this past week, all of the kind of the receipts and how much actors are paid in, in Hollywood movies and things like that. So. By comparison, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch made $5.5 million, uh, for the new Doctor Strange, and Tom Cruise made $100 million <laughs> for Top Gun Maverick. Uh, and I'd say that they, it was probably worth every penny. Uh, yeah, but but like, uh, yeah, like sure. you said, the pl- I think one of the strongest parts about the movie is that the stakes and the mission is it's always really clear to the audience. Yes. They explain it many times. They lay that uh, foundation and the groundwork to when it's actually happening uh, with every like little maneuver, all the audience is like, oh, I know exactly what's happening. Yeah. I know exactly what they need to do. And and also the emotional stakes are really clear that they establish between Rooster uh, and Maverick. And of course, I love the way that they brought back Iceman, kind yeah. of the art imitating yeah. life there. I thought that was really For well sure. done. Uh and I think the faceless villain, I don't really fault that because I think in a globalized yeah. world, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to try to not, you know, tick off the Russians. I think it's Well, probably- and it's definitely, uh, it is in some ways a safeguard for the movie ever aging. Yes. I mean, it could, 30 years from now, if you have an unknown enemy versus some other country, well, who knows what's happening at that point. So you're kind of just creating this barrier to ever run into that issue, which exactly. is smart. I mean, that's probably why Tom Cruise is making all the big bucks is because he's mm-hmm. producing and acting and doing all these things and making these choices that, you know, with his buddy, Christopher McQuarrie on the script, um, which there's definitely that element at the end of Top Gun that starts to kind of feel like a Mission Impossible movie. Oh, for sure. And uh, which which I really enjoyed. I think it worked really well for it. And I think Tom Cruise is here for it. So sure. Yeah, that uh, that definitely took it a long way, I think. Yeah. The two the two biggest things that I, I don't know if it's big. I'm, I'm kind of iffy on the Jennifer Collins character. Connolly. What did I say? Jennifer. You said Collins. Oh, Jennifer. Con- Jennifer <laughs> Connolly. Excuse me. I'm a little bit iffy on the Jennifer Connolly character. I'm not sure if she was absolutely necessary. Um, I, I don't. Some people think they have good chemistry. I wasn't really sold on it, but I will say that the cheesy Lady Gaga needle drop at the very end almost took me out. Like that was a full half star that I that I took away. I was like, oh, no, like, <laughs> we are so close. And this is about to turn into like a cheesy faith based film like with that needle <laughs> drop uh and also the two-way football makes zero sense it's really yeah. dumb uh but i i will the last thing i'll say about it is i think that it's really interesting to see how much star wars is the dna of star wars is in this movie um you I mean you got a tr- the original star wars rather i mean you got a trench run you have to hit a small target uh, you know, the character goes off radar, uh, and says, you know, talk to me, dad, talk to me, goose in, a, in the same way that, that Luke, you know, talks to Obi-Wan, turns his radar off. And, and even you get the kind of do sex mocking a save, uh, savior with, uh, a character who in hangman, that is exactly the personality of Han Solo. And mm-hmm. cause I remember I leaned to my dad the first, the first time. And I was like, if this is star Wars, 
we need a Han Solo to save these two. And that's, that has to be Hangman, like no yeah. doubt. Yeah. And then when it happens, you're like, you're really gratified because yeah. Glenn Powell is such a likable guy. Uh, yeah. And I've, I really am excited for him, hoping that he gets a really, uh, gets a lot of opportunities after this. Cause I loved him and uh, everybody wants some. Yeah. Hopefully uh, people go back movie. and watch that now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think some of my favorite Twitter discourse from Top Gun has been trying to understand how Jennifer Connelly, the bar owner, owns a boat in this giant seaside home Mm -hmm. and people trying to do the math of how she could possibly afford it. Right. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I will say that is a great bar. Like that looks like such a fun bar to go to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, somebody needs to do like an exact replica of that bar and that will make so much business. Like just put sure. that thing on the beach. Uh, sure. But yeah, I th- Top Gun, Maverick, if you don't like it, then I'm not sure if movies are for you. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's definitely uh, nice to see the box office receipts for something that's not necessarily, um, you know, Marvel or a lot of kind of more of the same. Even if it is a franchise, uh, yeah. it was nice to see uh, it make so much money. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, kind of one of the big things with Top Gun was people who saw it were telling everyone else, like, you got to go see this on the biggest screen you can with the best sound system you can. It's worth it. And the same is being said for uh, the most recent summer movie release that we both got to see pretty much as soon as it came out, um, which is Jordan Peele's third movie, Nope. Uh, which many are saying, see it as big as you can, see it with a great sound system, which having seen it, I can say that that is a very true statement. Yeah. Um, but what were, this might be a two-part thing, but what were your kind of initial reactions to seeing Nope? And then now kind of two days removed, I think, how are you maybe thinking about it differently than you were when you watched it? Uh, I saw it um, in XD, which is kind of a, uh... I guess diet IMAX is, is yeah. would probably be accurate uh, with just a couple other people saw it on a matinee. Um, and I thought that it was, I really liked all the technical aspects of it. I thought that mm-hmm. the score was really good. I thought the effects, especially of the creature. Uh, oh, and we are probably going to be spoiling this. Uh, so if, if you're um, yeah. not wanting to have any of this spoiled, then uh, probably skip ahead, you know, 10 minutes or so. But I thought that it was definitely Peel's Spielberg movie without mm. question. Um, if Top Gun Maverick was Star Wars, then the classic blockbuster from the seventies that Nope is, is definitely Jaws. It was not what I expected in many ways. It's kind of a meta movie. And it's, I think what, what kept me a little bit at arm's length from it when I first saw it was, trying to fit together all of the themes and the messages, trying to figure out what is this movie about? Because uh, that's really, I mean, it's only his third movie, but Jordan Peele has clearly shown himself as a person who has lots of social, cultural, even yeah. theological messages in his films. And as soon as the film opens up with Nahum 3-6, which, believe it or not, this is recording this on a Sunday, uh, in my Sunday school class this morning, we went through Nahum three as, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Good you timing. guys, I was so excited. <laughs> I was probably the only one that was like really excited to open up to <laughs> Nahum three as we've been going through the minor prophets in the class. But, um, definitely the opening shot, I'm like, Oh, that's close encounters of the third yeah. kind right there. Uh, you know, you gotta, it, it, it kind of makes itself initially as an alien movie is kind of what you're thinking. But in the end, it's just a really kind of a classic blockbuster monster movie like Jaws. And you got this this killing machine that really is just a force of nature. Uh, we don't really know where it comes from. We don't understand it. But we there's com- maybe some conspiracy theories about it. Uh, and it really is this spectacle. Um, and so the more I've thought about it, I read a really helpful review by um, Vox.com's Alyssa Wilkinson, who's a, a really great movie critic. And she really helped spell out and connect a lot of the tissue to it. I think the biggest thing I was really hung up on was Gordy's place or or, sorry, Gordy's home, which is that kind of the sitcom that Peel um, opens up the film with, which is terrifying. Like that's one of those scenes that if I'm seven years old and I stumble into a room and that thing is playing like that will, I will never be able to look at a monkey ever again. Yeah. Uh, But 
I think that the more I've thought about it, the more I've been able to connect some of these uh, themes and, and what he's trying to, what he's riffing on, which is very meta movie about the making movies itself, but also a movie about the way that we consume images and that we consume with our smartphones, that we consume horror. Um, and, and I think that if I could, you know, put a neat bow on what is the theme, uh, I wrote down modern screen oriented consumerism, I think is what it's about. Um, but what'd you think about it? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think in the same way, I think the technical aspects are what really kind of stick out immediately to it. Um, I was listening today um, to Sean Fennessy's podcast over at The Ringer, and they were talking about about Nope and about Jordan Peele in general. And he made a comment that I think was helpful that directors nowadays are dealing with the context of you know, a hundred years of movies versus directors in the past, you know, we're dealing with less things before them. And so today, anytime someone makes something, you're always going to have um, homages or references to other filmmakers because there's so many movies they've watched that they're pulling things from, whether they're trying to or not. And so I think what's so great about Peel is that Peel doesn't doesn't try to hide that. Like Peel is like, yes, I was absolutely inspired by these things. And I'm going to put those aspects in this because they work and it doesn't lessen them in any way because he does them so well. Um, and so I think that what he does with Nope is, you know, obviously he goes in a very different direction than he's done um, with his other two movies. Not to say that it doesn't feel like a Jordan Peel movie, but just in the way that the story is told, you know, I had the person who saw it in front of me stood up after the movie and they're like, that wasn't even scary. That was so stupid. And, you know, I mean, that's just the that's where we're living right now is you've got guys like this who are saying, hey, here's a here's a genre that I love. And here's kind of a way that it's being seen. I'm going to kind of take it from a different angle. And so it's less of a in your face, scary horror. And it's more of a, hey, let me reveal to you like the evil inside of you. And I'm going to put it on the screen in a way that may be unfamiliar or not what you expect, but you're going to feel it at some point, whether it's right when the movie ends or whether it's a few days later. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that about Nope. And I think it does that really well. Um, and I just think it's really obvious that he is trying to push the medium. Um, and he is telling original stories, which is something that we just... <laughs> We don't get that often anymore. I mean, like almost it feels like at least 80% of movies coming out is, oh, it's based on this book or it's based on this or based on that, which is not not bad, but it's cool to have someone who is saying, hey, I've got all these original ideas. I'm going to make a story out of it and to kind of have that anticipation of going to the movies of saying, man, I don't know what this is going to be like. I don't have a book to read to get caught up on what it is. The trailer doesn't actually really tell me anything. And I, I think that's such a cool thing that he does and that he now kind of has this power of any movie I put out, whether you liked my last one or not, you're going to go see it because you want to know and you want to be part of, which is some of his points. You want to be part of the culture so bad that you're going to see anything that I put out, um, which I think is, you know, an interesting kind of sub layer to what he does. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a really big fan. Um, and, you know, like you said, some of that explanation from, you know, Alyssa Wilkinson's article was really helpful just in kind of, kind of thinking through it. Um, and I've heard a lot of people's kind of biggest gripe has been the Gordy's home kind of, mm -hmm. how does that fit in? What's kind of the point of that? Right. Which is, it's interesting to me because that was from a visual and, you know, scare perspective, if you will, air quotes, that is obviously one of the most effective parts of the movie in terms of getting a kind of a scare out of you. Like, oh man, this is yeah. really freaky. Especially um, in the first scene. Yes. But I do think that it does, 
I think in a lot of ways it's doing the same work as the rest of the movie is doing, just kind of for a different character in some ways. So I think that it really is. Um, so Stephen Yun plays um, this former child actor who's now kind of washed up and he's trying to make ends meet essentially by running this, you know, faux amusement park in the middle of nowhere. And he's trying to make just cash grabs out of showing off his old stuff from his movies and pictures and different things like that. And so, you know, I I do think that there is a really interesting commentary on, you know, he was a part of this tragic incident, you know, dealing with taking this thing, this, you know, piece of nature, if you will, out of its home, putting it in a context that's not supposed to be in order to capture it, to kind of make it this thing. And then when it goes wild and lets loose and these things happen, it's like, oh, we should have learned our lesson. Yeah. And yet here he is now again trying to tame something, trying to, you know, make something out of it that it's not meant to be, you know, that it's not supposed to be contained. It's not supposed to be looked at. It's supposed to be its own thing in its own home. And so I do think that there is. I think there's certainly set up for his character's kind of motives and what they do, but I think it kind of serves the same purpose as, as the alien does. And I think too, I found myself in those scenes, you know, with the monkey in that it doesn't, you know, what's happening almost because of the audio, you can kind of see what's going on, but it really doesn't show you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, not super clearly. And I found myself being like, I can't see what's going on. Like I want to, I want to see it. I want to know uh, what's happening. Yeah. And so I think for me, that was like, oh man, you know, by the end of the movie, I was like, well, that's exactly what this whole point was of, mm-hmm. I want to see the horror of what's happening. I want to see this thing I'm not supposed to see. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I was doing during that. So I, I think for me, that was kind of, And, you know, maybe not everyone had that same kind of reaction as me, but I think that that's kind of what made it fit so well for me and feel like a really worthy, maybe side narrative that was going on. Yeah, you talk about scene. I mean, that's certainly the a huge theme of the movie, even the way that the monster, it kind of engages its prey through their eyes. So if a person looks at the monster, basically, that's good. That's how you're going to die. And the way that OJ, who's played by Daniel Kaluuya, um, who is now probably, I mean, golly, talk about uh, one of the best working actors. I mean, he's already got an Oscar under his belt. Oh yeah. And yeah, but I think he's the exception. You know, Alyssa Wilkinson talks about how he doesn't, um, he doesn't look at the monster. He doesn't use a smartphone. He uses a flip phone, which is clearly an intentional choice on his part. So he's Mm -hmm. not part of that, uh, you know, the, the machine of always consuming images and images and videos. And it's, and it's interesting. You, you talk about, you know, a lot of those themes that you mentioned are, are also Spielbergian themes in uh, specifically Jurassic park is when Mm -hmm. we try to control nature, profit off of it, uh, Mm -hmm. make money off of it, make amusement parks out of it. uh, It will rear its ugly head and we'll get what we deserve. Um, but definitely, I think it's really interesting. The more I've been thinking about that Nahum verse, um, you you see, I mean, the, the word spectacle is is the one that pops out to me. Mm-hmm. And so in that in that context, you know, uh, it's fresh on my mind from this morning at church. But, you know, Nineveh is chewing people up and spitting them out. And so God is telling Nineveh through the prophet of Nahum, I'm going to do the same to you. Um, and I think that in the same way that Nineveh consumes people and changes people, uh, images and smartphone cameras and, you know, the word content, which is just that, I mean, that's gotta be the word of the 2020s so far in terms of entertainment is content, content, content. And we're just stuffing ourselves with content and it's, uh, probably not good for us. And I think that's part of what Peel is trying to say. Uh, but also there's, I mean, there's so many, um, there, there's definitely a a theme of uh, black the black 
um, history in, in Hollywood and in film, you know, the first ever motion picture it's in the trailer. And that's what, you know, Kiki Palmer's character talks about who's, she's great in this movie, of course, Mm -hmm. um, is that the first, uh, image is of a horse and, a a black rider, black jockey. But the, the name in reality that we remember the horse's name, but we don't remember the jockey's name. And there's so many posters up, uh, in, in different parts of the movie in the background of different black films. And of course, at the end, I'm reminded like one of the very last frames, I'm thinking of Django. Mm. So it's kind of a, you know, there's lots of different themes. I, I, and it reminds me a little bit more of us and that there's just so much stuff he's throwing at the wall. Yeah. And it's almost like this Rorschach test of like, okay, what what you get out of this is what you bring to it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different ways you can interpret this, a lot of different themes you can have. And I think it's rare for a movie that's so visually and entertaining and just such a blockbuster. It's funny to to have ideas like that on its mind. And so it's it's both a movie you can just appreciate on the surface, like, hey, here's a monster and they need to kill it. And they kill it in the same way that they kill Jaws. Uh, and that's definitely an intentional homage. Uh, yeah. That's not laziness, I don't think, on his part. Um, but at the same time, you can you can run run wild with it and go really deep with it. And so it's uh, you know what you bring to it is what you get out of it. And yeah. I think I'm really excited to see it a second time. I think my appreciation will grow. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting too. I mean, what uh, the thing that I think is maybe its most significant thing that will probably end up being its least talked about thing is just the way the direction that he chooses to go with what is happening and what this thing is that is causing these attacks and things like that is so wholly unique. Like I don't, I can't think of anything I've ever seen that takes the turn that this does in terms of saying, this is actually what this thing is. Mm -hmm. Like it was just like, Oh wow. Like I never would have, seen that coming or guessed that or thought that's what this movie really was. And so I think with that going for it, it just has this whole different level of intrigue um, because it's so original in terms of what it's doing. um, That even if those themes don't like jump out at you and don't really affect you, even as just like a really good suspenseful sci-fi horror, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that creature design, especially in that last third oh, act, when man. it really transforms is like one of those, like exactly like you said, I'm like, I have not, this is new. Like this, this design, the feel of this, even the way he shoots it in broad daylight, you know, a lot of horror yeah. movies um, would be, would be shot at night where something is, is scarier, you know? Yeah. But, but something like this is in the, in the light, when you see it for what it is, yeah. because it's so new, because it's so different, it makes it a lot scarier. Yeah, I found myself really thinking about that final that final act of uh, Annihilation, the Alex Garland movie, mm, yeah. where you get this creature at the end that you're like, I, I, I can't even put words as to what this thing is or what's going on, but I also have to keep watching because I want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. And this has that same kind of feel to it. Like, I don't even know what I'm looking at and I can't even put terms to define it. But I know that it's really amazing and I can't believe they came up with this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do so yeah. think that that first act really probably takes a lot longer than it should. Mm-hmm. I definitely think if we're on the cutting room floor here, I could probably squeeze 10 to 15 minutes out of that first yeah. act. Um, yeah, I agree. But but once it really gets to where it's going, it is, it's a pretty good time for sure. Yeah, I agree. So next up on the summer movie list, something a movie that I kind of expected to love uh, and you did not expect to love is Boz Lerman's Elvis. I didn't uh, even expect to like it. Yeah. you were. You're not, I mean, Boz Lerman is, uh, so he's directed not, not many movies, but the, when he, when he makes a movie, he makes a lot of movie out of that movie. Uh, so the last one he did was the great Gatsby with DiCaprio from 2013. Uh, one that I really like still do. Uh, takes big swings. Lots of it is, um, you see lots of anachronisms in it. You know, you're watching a movie like, like with the great Gatsby, like a Jay-Z song comes on mm-hmm. or, and you definitely get that feel a lot of times here in Elvis. Um, he made Moulin Rouge, which I think still might be his best, 
uh, nominate. Uh, that was 2001, I think. I think that was the best picture nomination he got for that. Um, but Elvis, to me, this is my, this is like, this is the best superhero movie of the summer for me. <laughs> like this is, I mean, Martin Scorsese talks about theme park rides. This thing is a theme park ride without question. And Austin Butler's performance is, is so good that he is still talking like Elvis. <laughs> His voice has pretty much been permanently changed from being in character for so yeah. long. And he really, I think he nails the swagger, the charisma he sings a lot of these songs. Uh, that's his actual voice. These in his actual playing instruments. So this is not a um, you know Freddie Mercury Bohemian Rhapsody lip syncing thing. You know, and it yeah. you know it is. Does it share a lot of those musical biopic tropes that you know Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story kind <laughs> of brings to light? Yes. Um, is that like a? But I also think that like those stories keep happening. And keep being told because they're that's what happens to so many rock stars and so many yeah. people who achieve these heights of fame and these tortured artists is that their greed and their um, their addictions can get the best of them and the yeah. way that fame I, people just I, I just I can't get over that people are not humans are not meant to be as famous as Elvis was. Yeah. That's just not something that I think God has designed us for. And we see the downfall of it. And we see how people who don't have his best interests in mind, uh, like, like Tom Hanks's Colonel Parker character, who is the worst part of the movie. And I will say, I can't believe that Boz decided to like frame the entire narrative around his perspective, which I thought was a huge misstep, but still, I mean, this thing is a theme park ride. It, It, to the point, I mean, it's a superhero movie to the point where there, at one point, there's actually comic book like images yeah. on screen depicting Elvis, uh, and and he really is. He's just this larger than life person. It's it's a little bit of hagiography, you know, kind of glorifying Elvis, kind of glossing over some of his his downfalls. But man, that ending really moved me, and I've been listening to Elvis pretty much nonstop since then, and I I, I loved it. It has its it has glaring faults and flaws, but I kind of overlooked them because I was just so entertained the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I think it was one where, like you said, I'm I'm just not a Boz Lerman fan. Like he has yet to make something where I was like, oh, I enjoyed that. Like I would watch that again. Like I just I don't think I've ever watched a Boz Lerman movie more than once. Um, because I think I was forced to watch Romeo and Juliet in high school at some point, which was like. Leonardo DiCaprio's big heartthrob moment maybe Absolutely. was one of the early ones, but, uh, but yeah, so I went into this and I, I try so hard to not go in a movie with expectations, but like, this was one where it was like so low. And I was like, I almost want to leave before this even starts. Cause I think I'm not going to like it. And honestly, I mean, it was at the end of the day, it was Austin Butler that won me over just in terms of, I mean, this would be such an easy character to ham up and overdo. And, and maybe in some ways he does a little bit, you know, and that that's okay. But I think it, it just works so well. And I think he seemed to be so honest about his performance and the time he put in the really trying to get it accurate to try to really feel what it must've been like to be this guy. Um, That ultimately that won me over. And I was able to look past, you know, those kind of typical Lerman things that are not my favorite and the very over the top and the transitions and all that. Um, you know, I was able to have a, have a really good time with it. And, you know, even though all the concert scenes are like essentially kind of the exact same thing, I still was like, felt like I was part of the crowd during them and I was all in on what was going on. Um, so yeah, so Elvis is one that I definitely, I don't know if I feel like it's you got to see it in the theaters before it goes like you, you just have to, but it's definitely one that like you should check out for a good time, you know, at home watching a movie, you know, it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. And it's a Warner brothers movie. So it'll be on HBO max um, eventually. And yeah, I think Boz Lerman it's, he's like, you know, I, I told this to somebody, his style is like, you know, those, sometimes you get those people who are showing, doing like a PowerPoint presentation and they're just like every single point, yeah. bullet point is like, 
pew, pew. Yeah. And like every sound effect, every like, I mean, words are coming in, like flipping and stuff. I mean, that is him. Just everything is maximalist. Yeah. It's loud. It's flashy. Um, and I think it serves Elvis's um, life and story well. So I thought it was a good uh, mashup between uh, creator and the subject matter. So I, I, I give a, uh, a two thumbs up for Elvis. And uh, so now we'll transition into some of Disney's offerings uh, from the summer. I mentioned this, this was Elvis was my favorite superhero movie, which will kind of show you where I stand on the Thor and the Doctor Strange too. But we'll start with Thor Love and Thunder. Um, what'd you think about it, Nathan? Um, I was, I feel like at some point I used a really good analogy about it, but yeah, I mean, it was, we all either were the kid or have been around a kid that when they hear someone say a joke, that's really funny. They like keep saying it over and over again. And you're (laughs) like, you hit the point where you're like, Oh my gosh, you got, I know exactly where you're going with this. And Thor 11 thunder takes everything that was so great about Thor Ragnarok. I mean, Thor Ragnarok felt new. It was clever. Like even the moments that maybe for some people are like, that was kind of annoying for most people were really funny and just like really worked for the character that Thor has kind of become as this kind of goofy, dumb, but like really heartfelt character. And it just took everything that was so good about that, everything that was so funny, and just like ran it into the ground (laughs) until it was like, give me like a serious moment, like please, which is not something I ever thought I would think during a Taika Waititi movie. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, and I really like Taika Waititi. Like I, his movie Hunt for the Wilder People, I love. Obviously what he did with what we do in the shadows has now turned into a TV show. And mm-hmm. like, it's hilarious. Um, even Jojo rabbit. Um, I enjoyed. And so I, you know, I really root for him, but like this just got to a point where I was like, I like would rather this just go ahead and end. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were so many elements that I think could have been so good. I mean, like you got Christian Bale, who's like, agreed to be part of this movie somehow. I don't know why, (laughs) but I mean, he's great, but he's great with what he has and what he has is not that much. Um, And and what he has is completely a different tone from the rest of what's going on. So it's exactly, and that tends to be a criticism I've seen a lot. And it was definitely one that I thought of as like, okay, we got like two, I mean, Christian Bale's in a different movie than everyone else in this Um, not that that's a bad thing because I thought his performance was really good. And I thought, you know, Gore, the God butcher, I was, you know, the way that his story, I I thought it was really interesting. And he, this guy struggling with kind of a theodicy, this trying to explain the failure of gods. And we all have probably felt like, you know, the, the, that moment where we don't get an answered prayer and where we feel angry at, at, you know, the divine at God. And, and he really embodied that and became a a villain that I could like, I understand this villain, like similar to uh, Killmonger and black Panther. It's like, okay, I can see where this guy's coming from. Yeah. 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 Which was like, yeah. I mean, that was the thing that was so good. And so it was almost like, man, I wish the rest of this match, this tone because I want to know more and I want to get more of this character. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, and I think, I think it's, probably similar to the issues I had with Dr. Strange in that because just because of what Marvel has become and everything has to be connected and everything has to be part of this greater narrative that because it's in such a like weird, this phase four out of who knows how many phases Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we got to make these work and we got to keep making movies, but we're not quite sure where we're headed yet. And so it's just all these like, let's just try to mash all these characters together. And now no one's movie is like just their movie. It's Mm -hmm. like their movie plus this person. And after the credits, we're going to put this person in there. And so, you know, and I, I love comic books and I love that we are at a place where we get to see all these superheroes come to life. But, you know, it, it does get to a place. And I think Ethan Hawke just did an interview recently. I can't remember who it was with. But he made uh, what I thought was a really helpful observation is, you know, we've had all those things where like Martin Scorsese was like, you know, Marvel movies are just 
whatever popcorn movies and they're not actually worth anything or whatever he said. And, you know, Ethan Hawke is making the point that you just, you just cannot look at these things. You can, but you shouldn't look at these movies like through the same lens, Mm -hmm. like different movies require different lenses. And most of these Marvel movies require the lens of a 14 year old Mm -hmm. or someone who just loves this stuff. Yeah. And that's not to say that it like doesn't still need to try or be good in some way, but for us to try to, you know, watch the Irishman with the exact same lens that we're watching Thor love and thunder, of course you're going to walk away being like, that was not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I, I do think that there, there is some wisdom there in terms of I could have, if I had gone in with a different mindset, I probably could have like really enjoyed Thor love and thunder significantly more than I did with the mindset of like, okay, what kind of movie is this by itself standalone? Because it's not really meant to be a standalone movie. You know, it's part of this whole thing. Um, So I I just think we've gotten to a tricky spot with that, that at some point, you know, from a film criticism perspective, maybe there comes a place where you just have to relent and say, you know, this is what it is. I'm not going to spend too much of my brain power trying to criticize it into the ground. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. I mean, I still had fun with Thor. Yeah. Um, I think, I think your, your letterbox review was pretty spot on. It's like, turns out you can have too much Taika Waititi. And I yeah. definitely think he's at this point where uh, he's maybe a little bit of overexposure. People might be yeah. getting a little bit burnt out with him. I love his dry, witty New Zealand humor. I love all those movies that he's made. This is probably yeah. my least favorite of the ones that I've seen. I think I've seen all of them except for um, Eagle versus Shark or something like that. But yeah. uh-huh. um, to me, this is the Guardians Volume 2 to Guardians Volume mm-hmm. 1. Uh, but with Thor, you know, my two favorite MCU movies as of today, which it, it shifts and changes a lot, would be Thor, Ragnarok, and Guardians, the first Guardians. And Guardians Volume 2 and Thor Love and Thunder are both very similar in that they take, it feels very much like a victory lap of mm-hmm. their predecessor. Feels like it's not as fresh, not as sharp, a little kind of going through the motions. Both have compelling villains with um, uh, Russell in. Um, volume two and bail here but again it's just like it feels like this comedic auteur making a follow-up that just feels a little too familiar and a little too kind of by the paint by the numbers for me yeah Um, yeah yeah. and but i will say i liked it more than the next movie we'll talk about which is dr strange in the multiverse of madness which i don't know what your i don't remember what your thoughts were but this was like my i am exhausted by because i i forced myself to watch um uh wandavision and uh a loki which both of them i was like this is just i i'm just not engaged (laughs) i don't care this is just time this is content this is just content made to be consumed and I just really resented the fact that I had to watch at least WandaVision <laughs> again, <laughs> but probably Loki. And, you know, you talk about where are they going at, at, at did you follow the San Diego Comic-Con I, stuff? Yeah, I saw they introduced stage five and six stage five and, and six. And so we're moving from the infinity saga to the multiverse saga, which I am already burnt out a little bit yeah. on multiverse stuff, especially with Loki. And now, you know, Dr. Strange that I'm just like, oh man, not only is it not going anywhere, it's, they're going to double and triple and quadruple down on this thing. Um, but this one really felt like two different movies to me because it was made by essentially two different filmmakers and they brought yeah. in Sam Raimi for hire. And I, I thought my favorite parts about this movie is when Sam Raimi gets to do evil dead stuff um, yeah. where it kind of leans into the horror. I think that's where it's the most fresh, the most interesting. Um, but again, I'm just, I don't like, Doctor Strange as a character. I don't think he's likable. I don't really root for him that much. I was really confused about America Chavez. I didn't think uh, that actress's performance was great. I was confused about where she came from. And I'm also really confused about like, is phase four out of order? Like, is this supposed to happen before No Way Home? 
and WandaVision because this was supposed to come out earlier and then Scott Derrickson left for personal yeah. reasons. And then they were, it's just like, it well, just Black was Widow very... is also part of phase four and that's but like, yeah, <laughs> where does that fit in? So, right. Yeah. It really feels like they're just kind of throwing stuff, but I will say the Wakanda forever trailer, which I watched today, uh, was an amazing trailer. Yeah. And if they Cougar knows what he's doing. Yeah. So I, that was like, Right, it's like the old the Godfather Part Three. It's like right when I'm out, they pull me yeah. back in, and <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, okay, that looks pretty good. And you know, we'll see, you know, where it goes with the with this multiverse saga. I'm not super excited about it, but and and I get the feeling that others are getting are like, okay, when's when's the new back? When's the new Thanos? What's what's the through line here? Yeah. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, Marvel can get get back to kind of the heights that they were at. Um, but I, I, I may not watch another Marvel Disney plus show. Cause it's yeah. just the scale is like, it's just, Oh man, yeah. from a well, storytelling and, perspective, it just is, it just drags. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my goodness, where are we going here? Yeah. Well, and another thing that, that Ethan Hawke said in that interview that I thought was interesting was they were asking him about what it was like being part of moon Knight since he hasn't really done any other Marvel stuff, like what was it like kind of stepping into that? And, uh, and he said, you know what? It was really freeing for me as an actor because we had tons of space to try things and to play, but I don't think that Marvel is director friendly. Yeah. And I I think that that was such, I mean, that's so true because I think that, you know, you look at something like, Doctor Strange that obviously went to two different directors, but there's a reason the first one left is because they didn't want him to make it how he wanted to make it because ultimately Kevin Feige is the director of all of these movies. Sure. And so it's just, it's a challenge, especially with the shows and things like that, because it doesn't really matter who you get to direct most of these things. It's going to be the same, Mm -hmm. you know, either way. And so, you know, thankfully with something like Black Panther, you've got a guy like Ryan Coogler that has such a strong voice that, I don't think Marvel is dumb enough to try to take his creative freedom mm-hmm. because they know that he could tell that story better than anyone else. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that even bringing Sam Raimi in on this one, you know, who for something like Dr. Strange is a really great choice to try to kind of take it in a new direction. It's just so obvious that like he had, shackles on mm-hmm. and could not go as far as he wanted because i mean that there's that sequence with professor x and wanda that was like genuinely like holy cow that was like that's pretty brutal kills there. Yeah. yeah and so and that's the thing too i mean like you said like i i do not care about wanda anymore i'm so sick of that entire like storyline that when i realized that was like the main character in dr mm-hmm. strange's movie I was like, oh my gosh, can we please move on? And then there's the, my biggest issue probably, and this might actually be my biggest, I mean, I don't think Dr. Strange is very likable. I I really don't think Wanda is very likable either. (laughs) But what I will say is I don't understand the way that their powers work. I think that it's like they can, it's either they have too much power or it's the it's ill-defined or it's hard to capture what they're actually doing but it just really muddies the action and the and the motivations and i'm and, and really just the rules don't really make a whole lot of sense to me that that they're trying to set up for how their powers yeah. operate in this in the story yeah um, yeah so neither one of us were super high on those two and then the last of our kind of trilogy of disney stuff here disney content is a uh, lightyear which I uh, expected to hate. And when the opening (laughs) text comes on the screen, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen that it says like, you know, in 1995, Andy gets a toy based on a movie. And this is that movie. And I'm like, that's really dumb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I actually liked it. Like I, and I also, I, I, you know, I'm mindful that, you know, the way that we watch movies, so much of it is about expectations, how we were feeling that day. We talk about this yeah, on every episode. Yeah, and yeah. I was definitely like, I don't expect to like this. And I was yeah. pleasantly surprised. Even the yeah. Taika Waititi character, speaking of overexposure, yeah. I, fa- yeah. I found to be, you know, um, endearing. 
But my my wife, when we watched it, uh, said, and she meant this as an insult, that that was Christopher Nolan for Pixar. And I said, as a compliment, that was Christopher Nolan for Pixar. So your your mileage will vary. It definitely has a lot of interstellar, uh, maybe even some like Inception-y feel to it. Uh, but I thought the the animation in particular was just amazing. Um, I was very entertained throughout, but I will say, Pixar, it is time to move on from Toy Story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't give us some Woody's Roundup, you know, <laughs> this is the movie Andy watched about Woody in 1994. Uh, would, and now if they were going to, if they're going to keep pumping out these stupid Disney Plus shows, I would take a Woody's Roundup TV show. Sure. That's fine. But <laughs> yeah. 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 So with Lightyear, I thought that it was entertaining uh, as as far as using Chris Evans's voice instead of Tim Allen's voice. That doesn't make sense um, unless you think about <laughs> kind of his his politics not really matching up with what Disney's um, poli- what yeah. they want their politics and the optics to be. So uh, which is kind of silly. I, I think I would have liked it more if it was his voice. But, you know, yeah. that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, I had a, I had a decent time with it. Uh, what did you think? Yeah. Uh, I'll, just for the sake of time, I'll just read the first paragraph of my letterboxd review, which was Pixar seems to have a growing pile of mediocre and unimaginative films that feel like reaching for cash more than the stars. Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's punchy. That's what I'll say about <laughs> that. That's fine. That's fine. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I also did really like um, Zerg the way that they handled Zerg. I thought that was kind of cool. But anyway, uh, the next one, speaking of Ethan Hawke, and we'll kind of go a little bit more rapid fire through these last yeah. few summer movies, uh, The Black Phone, or as my wife continually calls it, The Black Box. Um, <laughs> every time I'm like, Rachel, black box, black it's phone. The Black Phone, not The Black Box. <laughs> the Black Box is the wine that you drink. Um, but The Black Phone, I thought, well, what do you think about it? I think you were a little bit higher on it than I was. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I think that... You know, I I like Scott Derrickson. I think he's got a good vision for, you know, for this stuff. Um, there's certainly, it is one of the very few times that I will say, um, I wish that a movie like this was a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is solely because you just don't get much of like anything about the villain. Like there's mm-hmm. just almost absolutely no meat to it. Um, but there were a lot of really fun elements. There were some really creative choices that were made. It's based on a story written by Stephen King's son, uh, Joe Hill. It feels very Hill. Stephen King-esque. Yes, it feels like an off-brand Stephen King story. Yeah, which, I didn't even know that. That makes that yeah. makes sense. No, it really that. it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I I re- I enjoyed it. It's one that I would definitely, if I had a group of people over and we wanted to watch something mm-hmm. scary, I'd be like, hey, let's let, let's bust this out. It's not too crazy. But it's fun. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not like, oh, my gosh, this is like, you know, the next great horror movie. But I, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, I was entertained by it. Uh, it kind of had me throughout. I thought the setup was interesting. I will say in the first act, I'm, I, I remember I kept thinking to myself, like, it, this does not feel it was either it was written by an alien or like an algorithm yeah. <laughs> or like an AI. I'm just like, this does not feel like like real human beings right now. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I was a little bit like kind of confused by that, but then um, I, I, I think it, I think in the end it could have gone further. It could have been scarier. Yeah. It could have been grittier, sure. but was it PG 13? I think so. Okay. So yeah, it felt very much just kind of like a PG 13 Stephen King esque movie. Um, it, it's one that I probably won't try to rewatch super soon, but you know, like you said, this is a good movie for people who, who like horror or who are maybe interested in, in horror. It, is, it feels more thriller. Yeah, uh, it sure. feels like a grounded thriller kind of child abduction movie to me than it yeah. does like a pure horror. Movie. For sure. But um, yeah, so I thought it was decent. The next one on our list is uh, one that you were very high on. And I'll let you kind of take the reins on this one. Uh, Cooper Rafe's uh, sophomore feature, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which is on uh, Apple TV Plus. Yeah, I mean, Cooper Rafe is definitely a guy that I just. So last year um, or was it two years ago? 2020. Yeah. 2020 uh, put out a movie called Shit House that was, as I've said before on this podcast, I love walk and talk movies mm-hmm. that are just people just talking for an hour and a half. But 
he is, I think he's 23, 24, maybe now. Um, but what we talked about um, when Shithouse came out was, man, here's a guy who has such a pulse on what his generation thinks about, what worries them. Um, and as someone who is on the the very beginning of his generation, um, I think not only do those themes that he kind of deals with hit home for me, but just the way that he tells stories is it's just the way that I like them to be told. And it's, he tells them in a way that is very intriguing to me. And as someone who spent a lot of time wanting to one day get into screenwriting and things like that, the way that he writes is like very similar to how I write. And so with his newest one, it was almost like it, it would almost just have to be like, unwatchable for me to not like it. Um, and so it definitely, I can watch it from a lens of understanding that like, this is not for everyone and this is messy and this has some elements to it that I'm like, okay, that doesn't super fit, but we'll go with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I really enjoyed it. And I think at the end of the day, everything that he has done feels very heartfelt, feels very much like I believe in the story that I'm trying to tell. And there's a message that I want to go with it. Um, I thought Dakota Johnson was really great in it. Like this genuinely after watching it, I was like, I kind of want to watch more Dakota Johnson movies. Like I want to know. Be careful what you wish for because yeah, persuasion yeah. on Netflix is there's, not good. Uh, yeah. That's, that's what I've heard <laughs> among some others in her catalog that I should uh -huh. probably stay away from. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed her. And, you know, as someone who has a brother with special needs, I enjoyed that there was some representation there as well with a character with autism um, that used an actress who I believe, as far as I know, does have autism. Mm -hmm. um, and so I there were just a lot of elements to it that really spoke to me that I really enjoyed. And I thought um, it's just cool that. Um, movies like that are able to get made today and that people are watching it and that people are enjoying it and that a place like Apple sees enough in it to say, Hey, we're going to put money towards this and put it out. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed Cha Cha Real Smooth. Yeah. Was it really, um, I was a little bit disappointed with it. Loved shit house though, but we'll go a little bit more rapid fire here. We both saw this uh, together at the theater crimes of the future, which is David Cronenberg's return to body horror. Uh, and both of us were quite perplexed and mystified by it. Uh, one of those things where it's like, not sure I can really tell you what this is about. Uh, I thought it was fu surprisingly funny, but yeah, yeah. I, I really couldn't make heads or tails of what my thematic takeaway was. It felt a little oblique to me. Uh, I thought it wasn't as provocative uh, visually or uh, maybe... Uh, I didn't think it pushed the boundaries like it could have. It seems like a lot of the really, you know, creepy body horror stuff is in the trailer, but a lot of film critics that I really respect have really kind of really gone for it. Uh, but it was one that I just re really didn't connect with very much. What about you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would, I would echo all that. I think it just, it felt like it had a lot of ideas and potential themes and that none of them really kind of worked out and it just kind of sizzled to an end yeah um so yeah i wasn't wasn't super high on it but i'm glad that he's back making movies yeah uh, another one jurassic world dominion you have not seen this one uh and i don't think you need to rush out and see it anytime soon <laughs> the I'm only thing i'll say hurry. is i saw this at a uh a, a kind of a fancy theater in naples florida where when Ra rachel and i were on vacation um and i had a long island iced tea and I fell asleep in the movie. Uh, and that's the first movie I've fallen asleep in since Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. And I would put this about on par with that, uh, which is not very good. Uh, next up, we have The Gray Man from Netflix. Uh, what would you think about this one? You saw this one in the theater, didn't you? I did. Um, all you need to know is that Chris Evans um, at one point says the line... <laughs> If you want to make an omelet, sometimes you got to kill people. <laughs> and then also says, 
you need to hit that meatball like a freight train. <laughs> this, this Talking is such about a, Ryan Gosling's character. This is such a stupid movie. <laughs> so that's about what you need to know in terms oh, of the writing man. quality going on here. Um, yeah. And then paired alongside the Russo brothers' recent comments about movie theaters being elitist and it's BS that people think they're important. Oh it just gosh. was not a great watching experience. Yeah, bite so. in the hand that feeds. Well, I'll tell you what, the Russos need to stick to Marvel because this one was just... Yeah. It almost like... I mean, my I thought that my favorite part of the movie, honestly, was Julia Butters, who's the child actor mm. from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm like, this girl is an absolute star yeah. and she is stealing every scene that she's in. She's absolutely going for yeah. it. And that was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. I'm glad Ryan even... Gosling's back, though. And like, sure, yeah, I'm, it's been a little And bit. I'm here for Ana de Armas as like an action star. Yes, like, that's fine absolutely. with me. Like, she was great, but like, I mean, not like I, this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And yeah. <laughs> it's like Chris Evans. I think uh, David Ehrlich, who we, we quote every episode, he's one of our favorite film critics over at IndieWire. He, he said, because uh, um, uh, Chris Evans's character in Scott Pilgrim versus the world is like this really stereotypical, uh-huh. like, the overly masculine action star. And he's like, uh-huh. well, this is basically one of those fictional movies that yeah. he would have been in. <laughs> in uh, and yeah. yeah, it's really his character that he's playing from knives out, uh, which I'm sure is a lot of fun for him because he's been stuck playing, you know, the most straight arrow captain America for so long, but he's finally gets to break out and have a little fun. Uh, it's, a, maybe- well, and it's a perfect example of an actor who like, when they're working with someone who is like super talented and a really great writer and they're given the right material can like be great. Like Mm -hmm. something like knives out. It's like, he's got Ryan Johnson right there. Who's like, okay, let's, you know, let's do this this way or like, like give this a try. That kind of thing versus like, we're doing this movie and it's all about stuff blowing up. You just got to read what we wrote. And it's like, okay. So I, I definitely think that like, I like Chris Evans, but he is uh if he's working with a great director, he can be awesome. If he's not, you don't really know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of great directors, Akiva Schaefer of Lonely Island and Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, uh which is a modern American masterpiece. Um <laughs> and I say that without a hint of sarcasm. I truly believe that. Uh Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, this one absolute I think this is maybe the hardest I've laughed all year. At a movie. It, I agree. <laughs> Disney Plus, uh, very much a Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, film, very much felt similar to that. Uh, I have no idea how they got the rights to all of these animated characters, but it was really the funny. The Sonic gag got me so good every with, time. With Tim Robinson of <laughs> uh, I Think You Should Leave fame. Oh, man. Just... This was Andy Samberg, John Mulaney. I mean, that's all you need is like, yeah. okay, Andy yeah. Samberg and John Mulaney's voices. And they're like perfectly cat. Like it was just, yeah. it, I mean, it does kind of drag the more it kind of turns into like an actual plot, but it is just funny. And yeah. Disney plus um, didn't expect to like it as much as I did. We got two more on here. Uh, Men, which we also saw in theaters together. Alex Garland's um, third feature, I think. Uh, if well, I guess devs would be a mini series, so we'll say that's true. Yeah, I, I'll count that though. We'll say fourth. Uh, he's four for four for me. Uh, a lot of people were really perplexed by this one. Uh, I really connected the more I thought about it. Uh, really liked. Um, I, I, I will say that if this movie was made by a woman, uh, given its content content and its material, uh, may have served it a little bit better, but I still think it was a really interesting uh, horror movie that that really, really, truly scared me. Yeah, there are some moments in this that are like, I need a while before I see that image again with my eyes. Sometimes there's just nothing scarier than a person who is in a vacation home looking out the window and seeing a naked man stalking them. Sometimes you just can't really. I mean, you don't. You don't need CG. <laughs> they they nope. do use CG <laughs> at some point, which gets interesting. But uh, even when that's happening, I'm like, oh, this is this. They're going for it, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this one's going to get a really low audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm sure. Uh, very divisive, but one that we were both able to get behind. And yeah. then the last one for our kind of uh, summer movie roundup here is the Bob's Burgers movie. What would you think about that one? I enjoyed it. I mean, it's essentially like a glorified episode of Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Which there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm here for it. I, I love Bob's Burgers. I uh, 
I think it's just one of those things that like they just nailed these characters when they made them and they have never had to stray from what these characters are. They're mm-hmm. always funny, everything that they do in their own unique ways. And uh, yeah, I'm here for the Belcher family and any sure. future adventures. Agreed. Yeah. they. I have never seen a bad Bob's Burgers episode. I think it's one of the most consistent television shows I've ever seen. And uh, the movie gave me exactly what I wanted, exactly what I expected. Uh, it's just a little beefed up episode with more musical numbers and a little bit of better animation that they yeah. could tell that they invested in. But I, I had a lot of fun with it. That one is both on Hulu and HBO Max. Uh, so definitely check that one out. Uh, very light. Uh, and just watch the show too. I mean, you yeah. don't have to watch the show. I mean, this is probably a good litmus test of if you would like the show. Um, yeah. But that is just one of the most consistent shows. Uh, Absolutely. Today. So that's 14 movies we went through. Some good, some in the middle and some not so good. Um, but yeah. How'd you feel about the summer, the summer movie season overall? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely been the best one that we've had since the pandemic um i think it's been cool to you know see some movies with crowded audiences and hearing people you know whoop and holler at stuff you know i saw top gun maverick with a packed crowd and it was just a ton of fun um so yeah i i think it's been a really good summer um i think it it shaped up well with nope kind of coming towards the end of it um, I got a chance to see Marcel the Shell with shoes on today, and it is amazing. You should go. And if you have kids who are a little bit older and might be able to understand some deeper themes, you should also take them because it is very good. Um, but yeah, I think it's been a been a great summer. Yeah, I loved the the YouTube sketches when they came out. I think I was late high school, so this is one that I've been uh, had my eye on for a while. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's one of those that I'm like, I feel like this was just made for me. And yeah. it sounds like from <laughs> what you said, uh, off mic that it's definitely up my alley. So, uh, I think that's pretty much all we got for this episode. Episode six of the cinema files. I guess the next time, uh, we'll be, uh, ra- we'll be looking at some fall releases, maybe talking about some, uh, more prestigious, uh, awards, uh, oriented films, stuff, things looking for some golden statues. Um, But yeah, until then I'm Mitch Wiley and I'm Nathan Robertson and this is the cinema files. Keep watching great movies guys. Thanks. Thanks.